hand of the Lord in our lives is what our hope is in, which is very much the theme of 1 Peter. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, to 1 Peter as we begin uh, this study, verse 1. Um, we're not going to get very far today. We're going to get to the first two verses uh, of 1 Peter, his introduction, uh, which is packed. Uh, most of us write basic emails with the subject heading. Well, when Peter writes the subject heading, he has it filled with theology. Uh, and so we're going to take a little bit of time uh, today and just look at this opening uh, line uh, into this letter of 1 Peter. You have the theme that we're going to go throughout the next few weeks of hope in a strange land. Um, this is uh, a theme you're going to see throughout as we look at this. This idea of exiles or as pilgrims, you might, uh, your translation might say. Uh, the idea that we are walking in a strange land. A culture that is not of our culture. That we are growing increasingly different as we follow Jesus Christ, no matter what culture we're in, what society we're in, is going to grow more and more strange as we love Jesus more and let his spirit work in our hearts. Uh, and so we're going to find ourselves at odds uh, with the society around. Peter, when he writes this, uh, he says later on that he's writing from Babylon, which is word for Rome. Uh, and so he's writing this to people spread throughout, uh, especially in the northern, what we know today as northern Turkey. Uh, you see these lists of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, uh, these various places, he calling them elect exiles. These are God's people, exiles, uh, in this re area, this region. Uh, this is a region uh, that could have been exposed to the gospel by Peter at Pentecost, or perhaps by believers spreading word. Uh, we know Paul did not go into these regions. Uh, he was forbidden by the Spirit, Holy Spirit, to go into Asia uh, and, uh, and Bithynia and some of these areas. And so, nonetheless, the gospel spreads. It goes out. And so, uh, as we think about this, I don't know if you've ever been in a strange land. Uh, in other words, you've been a foreigner somewhere. I remember the first time I went uh, to another airport and I looked for the, at the sign foreigner, and I looked around to see if there's any foreigners there, realizing, oh, I'm the foreigner. Uh, it's, it's, you know, for a while, it, it hits you like, you, know, you always think foreigner, someone else, but when you go to another country, you're the foreigner, you know? And so what the Bible is saying is, you're the foreigner. Uh, you're the one who is different uh, from the world that you're in, but it's just for a little while. And so uh, one of the things that happens when I go on these, uh, visiting our, our members that live in various other places and other countries, um, you know, these, these cross-Atlantic flights, uh, you know, I've not yet met one person when I talked to them and said, man, I really enjoy those flights. Those are great. I look forward to that. Uh, it, it's more something you just endure. Uh, in fact, I was talking to my dad who just got back from uh, visiting Israel, and uh, he said, it was the most miserable experience of my life. I think it was close to hell. I'm <laughs> thinking, okay, dad, you know, it might be a little exaggeration, but uh, the point of it is, is that it's a, it's a miserable seat. Uh, you can't sleep on it, uh, and sometimes it's hot. You don't have any room. It's hard to get up and go to the bathroom, take care of the basic necessities of life, uh, and you're there for 
uh, you know, sometimes 12, 14, 15 hours, 16 hours sometimes, and you just sit there. And so I've learned that there's a few things that helps me when I do these flights and then when I'm in these other places, and I've got to have a bag. I have to have a bag of stuff with me. And, and I had one of our, our members ask me, why do you carry that bag around with you everywhere you go? And I looked at him with this, this incredible look, like, why would I not have a bag with me everywhere I go? Because in it, in this bag, are the things that I feel like I need to help me in this strange land. Things like toilet paper, you know? <laughs> things, things, things like Pepto-Bismol because the food is strange. Things like my own water because the water is strange. You know, and, and I have to have all these things that I feel like having a little bit of home with me. And if I was to walk out without having that bag with me, I would feel a vulnerable. I'd feel like I, I was naked in some degree and that I, I didn't have the stuff of home to help me carry through this strange land. Well, as Peter is writing this letter, Basically, he's telling the new believer, or telling the believer, the fall of Christ, here's your bag. You're in a strange land. People are not going to uh, have the same values as you. You're going to be looked down upon. You might be persecuted. Uh, in fact, as he writes this, uh, Nero is in, in, in rule over Rome. In fact, uh, in 64 is when Nero begins one of the most intense persecutions of that season uh, of especially of this branch, this sect of Christianity. Uh, and so as he's writing this, this has not yet happened in its full or its beginning, its building. There is certainly the pressure of society that says, you're a Christian, you're weird. You're, in fact, they would call them the atheists because they didn't believe that uh, the emperor was divine. Uh, and so they would call me godless, immoral person. Uh, that was the value system laid upon Christians at that time. And so as he's writing this, he's writing uh, under the reign of the very one who would order the persecution of Peter and Paul and others. Uh, and so it's especially telling, as you read in Peter, how he describes to believers their attitude, their posture toward human government. Uh, writing it in a very hostile society. Uh, so as we live in society and where we're at, for the first time uh, in the last few years, we're starting to understand and see how this society we live in will start regarding Christians as less than, as bigoted, as immoral people. I, I couldn't for the life of me, for most of my life, as I studied the Word of God, figure out how this could happen in America. But now in the last five to seven years, it's becoming apparent to us how if you are a follower of Christ, if you are one of the weird sect that regards the teachings of Jesus as with real power, with real order, real direction, and that you're going to follow your life by it, that you are going to be marked as, well, you're just not as acceptable to the society. Um, it's interesting, I, I got to watch one of uh, a show that's been out for a few, uh, few weeks about uh, a man who follows the Bible and is trying to uh, follow the Bible in his business world. And, uh, and actually he's doing somewhat of a, well, they're not just making him look like a fool. Uh, that would be, wouldn't that be the normal? Wouldn't you expect that? If I, even as I tell you that, that, that plot line, don't you think they're going to make him look like a fool? And so it's somewhat surprising that they don't. 
But still, you see in it the characters of people saying, oh, he's one of those Bible people. Um, and, and so they're, they're a little bit dumb, a little bit hateful, a little bit judgmental, uh, and that's just what you associate with all this. And so here Peter's writing this and saying, let me just give you some instructions. Let me give you some hope. Let me give you some, some stuff. Let you know what you got in your bag with you as you walk through this life. And so as we get to verse 1 and verse 2, basically what he's introducing to you is as you walk this earth, you've got the Trinity with you. You've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you how that helps you in this life. So with that being said, I'm going to ask that we stand as we read this together. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Which, by the way... I meant to explain this to you. If you see in your bulletin, we have We Worship that begins at 1030. So the point of that being, instead of having the children have an exodus right before I talk, uh, that's going to begin right at the beginning. And so you'll see in the bulletin where to take your children if that applies to your family. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the, and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. You may be seated. Well, as we read this, I think that what I'm going to start off with is in verse 2, the last part, and we'll work our way backwards, uh, going from the end of verse 2 to the beginning of verse 2. Uh, but the elect exiles, just think about that, elect by God, chosen, is another word for that, chosen by God as exiles, has the idea of all that I share with you, we're strangers but we're also temporary strangers. It's something that we're working through. It's, it's the 16-hour plane ride, if you will, that we're foreigners for a season. How do we carry on in this land as foreigners different from everyone else in society as large? And the dispersion, the scattering. I have a friend of mine today, I, I told him I was praying for him, his last church service is today um, and he was sharing with me that there's been a church plant in the Rolls area and they're uh, not going to be able to make it uh, and so they're saying we're not going to be closed or we're going to be scattered this is the church scattered uh, so I was just saying a prayer for him today and, and just to know that we're all scattered for a season but it will be a day when we'll be re reunited but this is done according to Foreknowledge of God, we're going to talk about that, God the Father. This is done according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. This is God's, the Spirit, His work in us for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. This is God the Son's provision. All right, so in our bag with us, we've got the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so He's going to talk about God the Son. Let's look at how God the Son provides for us as we walk this land. The first thing he would have you to know is that it is done for obedience. The work of the Spirit and the work of God the Father is done 
for obedience to Jesus Christ, to understand that as we walk this earth, we've got commands, we've got directions, we've got orders, if you will. In fact, you remember what Peter's last commands from Jesus were? He said to Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. And so here we are having Peter saying, let me feed you. Let me feed the sheep of the people all scattered. And so he had the command of Jesus directing him. He had the command of Jesus that they all heard together to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, knowing that God the Father was with them, and that God the Son was with them, that all power had been given to them. And so they were to teach people all the commands of Jesus and to obey those things, and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we are under the directive of Jesus. So as we live this life, we can know that there are certain things that make us peculiar, and one of them is the commands of Christ, and that the first thing is to love God and love people. To be a peculiar people, a different people, is not just having some kind of subculture of Christianity. A lot of times that, you know, we're taught that if we're going to be different, it's because we dress different. And so I remember in high school, I wore the Christian t-shirt, you know, that, that said bench press this and had Jesus on the cross. And, and it kind of had this thinking of, okay, we're going to wear different clothes. Uh, we're going to listen to different music. And those things have uh, a role to a degree. But the primary difference is going to be done in the fruit of the spirit of, of gentleness, of, of generosity, of love, of joy, of a patience about us, of peace about us, a kindness that we demonstrate toward others. And so what separates us as different people are the commands of Christ, not whether or not we know all the top 40 Christian hits. Not whether or not we listen to the Christian radio. Not just because we listen to podcasts all the time. These things have a role, but what makes us different is the working the Spirit of God with the commands of Jesus. So I want us to think about that, that the Word of God matters. That it's by which we know the commands of Christ. And so one of the questions we've got to ask ourselves continually is what is most pleasing to God in how we carry ourselves, how we live our life? So as we are strangers, as exiles, we have the commands of Christ. So we are God's Spirit's working us, providing the obedience to Jesus Christ. But also, Jesus provides something else for sprinkling with his blood. We are elect exiles for the sprinkling with the blood of Jesus. Now this has an Old Testament theme. We would have read about this not too long ago in our F260 readings. It speaks back to Exodus chapter 24, verse 6 through 8. You can just write that down uh, just as a note to look back later on Exodus 24. When God was introducing the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, Moses was presenting it to the people. And he sprinkled the people with the blood of the Lamb to say that we will keep the covenant together. And so when he talks about sprinkling with his blood, it refers back to the Old Testament saying we are set apart for obedience for the covenant that God has made with us. Now you remember when Jesus Christ came and took the Passover feast and said, I'm going to give you a new covenant. And he said, referring to the blood, demonstrated, symbolized by the cup, this is the new covenant in my blood. And so what he was saying is, now... I am providing forgiveness for you. And it's done because of the blood of Jesus Christ 
giving us a clean conscience before God. Now, we read that and think, well, you know, it's just bloody. I just, I just want a God of love. I mean, why do we have to talk about the blood all the time? Why do we have to talk about sacrifices? It, it kind of sounds, you know, a little, a little bit like this Greek mythology. Listen, you cannot separate the love of God from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You cannot separate what Jesus does on the cross for us and loving. We have this idea that we don't have to talk about the blood of Jesus dying on the cross. That I can just love people and just be mere cinema with them. And just say, you know, I'm just, I just, God loves you. You know, uh, he gives you all this great stuff and, and he blesses us. Yes, but the greatest blessing is forgiveness of sin. And forgiveness of sin cannot happen apart from someone paying a price. Husbands, have you ever had a, a moment where you just kind of said something and then thought? <laughs> Peter does that. It's, it's one of the reasons why we like Peter. The Bible even says he, he spoke without thinking. <laughs> I can identify that. I, have I ever just said something to my wife and, oh, that probably wasn't the best thing to say. And then you, you just kind of carried on, and, and the guys, we try to like, oh, let's just pretend like that didn't say anything. And then we try to be sweet to them. We might say, hey, you know, here, here's your food, or, you know, or you, you kind of give them something that you know that they want. But it, it doesn't work, does it? Or maybe you try to hug them. What happens then? The hug is not received. The affection is turned away. And you can say, well, I'm just trying to be loving, baby. That doesn't work, does it? Wives, does that work? There's something you know. You just know by instinct that there's got to be a price paid. There was an injury done. You can't just wash it over with being sweet, right? There's got to be some verbal acknowledgement of a wrong being done. And so the, the, the price might be to say, I'm sorry, or I was a jerk, I was selfish. I, you, you know, there's different words we can use here, right? But there's got to be a verbal price. And, and if the injury is more than that, it might require more than a verbal payment. There might be some demonstration of, of repentance that's being, being done. So there needs to be sorrow expressing, responsibility acknowledged, I was wrong. Or maybe there needs to be some restitution. What do I need to do to make it right? Or maybe to say, will you forgive me? There's these things that we need to say. There's a price that has to be paid. Listen, we understand that relationally. How is it any different between our injury with God the Father and the, the stature of the person and the insult of, of what we do uh, determines the price that has to be paid? It's one thing to, to understand that verbal uh, insults, but what if it's to our nation? We, uh, we have wrongdoing. We, in fact, we betray uh, the positions of our army are of the secrets of our bases to the enemy. What's the price paid? What's called treason? It's not enough to say, I'm sorry. It's not enough to say, will you forgive me? There are certain measures that have to be done, some prices that have to be paid. And did you know that in our country it's called death? 
there is a betrayal of the whole country and where we're saying you are no longer welcome to live in this country or live in any country because we can't trust you. It's death. How is it when our injury is against God, the Father, who's loved us, who the very air you're breathing is because of him? And we live our life as though he didn't exist and we live for ourselves. And we filter everything according to what serves us best. Isn't that our default position, how we tend to be? And that is why there must be God himself making restitution to bring us back. Because we couldn't do it. We couldn't die enough. Our blood isn't holy enough to take care of our own sin. And so we are helpless in our state. There's a great span between us and God. And the only way it's going to be crossed if God comes and bridges it for us. And so what we have in this world as exiles, where there is a society that is against God generally, to say that we can be an exile, to know that we have hope and we have strength because we have a God who sprinkled his own blood on our behalf. God is the Son. He has provided for us. But listen, how does that apply? Looking at the, the structure of the sentence here. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. We, we are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. In other words, we're elect exiles because of God's foreknowledge. We've been elected according to that. Elected in the sanctification of the Spirit. Elected for obedience and elected for the sprinkling with the blood. So God has done work, called us, directed us, has a plan for our salvation, for us to be sprinkled, for obedience, but it's done in the Holy Spirit, in the sanctification of the Spirit. How do I obey Jesus Christ? In the Spirit of God. How Am I sprinkled with the blood in the Holy Spirit? Jesus, God the Son, provided it. But God the Spirit applies it to my life. And so that's why God the Spirit, His role is indispensable. I cannot, I cannot enter and be elect by God apart from God the Spirit. He's indispensable to me for my salvation in that The blood of Jesus gets applied by the Holy Spirit. The commands of Christ get done by the Spirit of Christ in me. So I have hope I can have in my bag God the Spirit working in my life. So why is that important? Well, you know, sanctification of the Spirit means to be set apart. Okay, set apart. I share with you, some of you may not have heard this, but uh, to think of holiness, think of set apart, think of your toothbrush. You know, one of the things that's dismaying to any person is to come into the bathroom and their toothbrush to be previously wet. That's a bad sign. I mean, someone has used that toothbrush for a purpose other than your mouth. It could have been used for their mouth, which you have to sanctify it, right? Put it in boiling water. Uh, clean it, throw it away, get a new one, whatever. Uh, it's because it's set apart for one purpose only. If it be used for any other purpose 
purpose except for that becomes useless, all right? So to be holy, to be set apart, is to be said, sanctified by the Spirit of God for the purposes of Jesus, for the purposes of God in this life. And so it's the Spirit of God doing this in me, helping me, giving me new desires to follow God's commands, Jesus' commands. And so there is a new conviction, maybe there's a new misery with disobeying the commands of Jesus. But it's something the Spirit of God helps me to understand the Word of God as I read this. He brings things to light and applies things to my situation, helping me to understand the promises of God in my role. A few weeks ago, or actually a week or so ago, we... um, Went to the Noose River, you know, where we had, we've had a couple outdoor baptisms. And since then, you know, the dam's been uh, demolished and water's running somewhat freely there. And uh, it's got a little bit, tiny rapids, you know, uh, some rocks there where the water rushes through. And, and so we went there, and uh, this, is a, this is a great little area just to play. We had, had our, 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 our boys and uh, one of our girls and had, um, had the dog, had him on a leash because there's other people around and, and uh, the dog actually started swimming. I thought, this is, you know, I tried to get the dog swimming, and he actually started swimming. And, and so uh, he would follow me wherever I went. Um, and I like to jump the rocks. I like to stand in the midst of the flowing water and just feel the pressure of it. And so my dog thinks that's a good idea because that's where I'm at. But it doesn't work out as well for the dog. You know, because it's, you know, he starts sweeping them out. And, and next thing you know, he's, he's swimming, he's paddling, he's trying to climb up the rocks where the white water's rushing down. And, and I'm just watching him just struggle. And, and there's a point where I think, you know, I don't think he's going to make it. Uh, and so I've got to come down and, and help pull him up. And I've got the leash, I've got him tied to me. So I know the dog's like, he's not going to go swept away unless I get swept away. Listen, when you have. The Holy Spirit in you. You are tied to the force of God. And it's so much better than a leash, right? Uh, he's in you. And whatever tide you're going up against, whatever rushing water is trying to conform you to the way of the river of this world, there is someone stronger than this world. He that is greater than, than this world is in you. And he is holding you fast to his commands, to his way, his desires. And so you've got the provision of God the Spirit working in your life, carrying you through this world. And so it is a great encouragement to me to know that whatever comes my way, whatever is being demanded of me, is also demanded of God the Spirit in me. And so when I have the commands to forgive people, to love people, to be patient, and I'm thinking, I don't want to be, and the world says, you're full for doing so, I've got God the Spirit who's enabling me, giving me a desire contrary to this world, and will give me the grace to do that. As I lean on the Spirit, and not my reason, not my energy, not my discipline, not my upbringing, but lean wholly on God the Spirit working in my life. He says, you are an elect exile in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. So how does this work though? How, does, how is it that God's Spirit is working in me? How is it God's Spirit is working in me for obedience and for this sprinkling? Well, this is done 
according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So now we've got God the Father in on this. What, how is God the Father in on our salvation? It's His plan. It is His directive. And it is His directive since even before the world began. It says, we get a little, some of us get a little uncomfortable, and this actually has become a division among Baptists, uh, certainly Christians. And it's tough because it's, it's a, of an issue that no one can really understand. Uh, and yet what we do not understand, we will divide over. Here he says, We are elect, exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, foreknowledge of what? That's always the big question, right? Well, we know at least foreknowledge of Jesus Christ. You see this uh, as later in this same chapter, if you just go a few verses down. Um, looking at verse 19, or verse, let's look at 18. Knowing that you're ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without spot or blemish. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So one thing that's being said is that he foreknew the provision of salvation that would happen by Jesus Christ. Uh, when Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3, God didn't say, oh, man, I didn't think about that. Even as he created man with the ability to live life dependent on him, are divorced from him. They chose divorce from him. Even as he allowed that, enabled it to have to made the tree of knowledge of good and evil, allowed this, he also, with it, knowing the future decisions of all his creations, made a plan. So since before the foundation of the world, Jesus was provided, God the Son was provided that there would be a people redeemed uh, from all the peoples, brought back to be his own and so this isn't just uh, an accident. This isn't plan B. Jesus dying on the cross on, and rising from the dead has always been his plan. There is not a plan A and plan B. It's just that's his plan since before the foundation of the world. As we see in verse 16, 17, uh, all the way through verse uh, 20. But then there's also the foreknowledge of all of his people. Of all people. This is where it gets tricky because it's saying that we have been chosen. God has elected people. And he elected people according to foreknowledge. Not just foreseeing. Sometimes we think, well, he foresaw everything. Yes, but foreknowledge has a greater intimacy than just foreseeing. There is an, an idea that we see uh, in, in Jeremiah chapter 1 in Psalm uh, 139, that even while we were in our mother's womb, we were known by God. In James chapter 1, uh, he knew the prophet, Jeremiah, even while he was in his mother's womb, and knew him and knew what he was going to do and be. And so there is an aspect of God knowing all of our decisions and drawing us, not according to our decisions, but just drawing us. Jesus seemed to make that clear. Various times throughout the Gospels where he would say, those hear me whom God has opened up their ears to hear. 
opened up their eyes to see that no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws them. And so there is this thing that kind of makes us uncomfortable to think, well, well, what role did I have in this? If God drew some people and didn't draw others, then, then what is the deal? Now, I'm just going to say to you that one of the things that messes us up here is that we start thinking about this as fatalism. Greek fatalism is that, that things are done despite our choices. God chooses us despite what we choose. You know, just whatever. Everything that happens, God's going to do it. So what's the point? But the Christian understanding is not that God chooses despite our choices, but God works through our choices. Not despite, but through our choices. In fact, there's some things that we see in Scripture uh, where, like we just read in the book of James, where the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much that God in his system has designed a way where God's power can work through prayer. We also know that God's work happens through the proclamation of the gospel. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first, then also to the Greek. And so when I look at these things, that in God's system, the more praying that happens, the more proclaiming of the word that happens, that God uses these as vehicles through which his power is released. So what does that mean? That It's been said this way, describing water. You could say that we live through the decision to drink water, Right? We could have a moment of trying to understand God and the mysteries of God and how he works and say, well, you know what? If I don't drink this water, if I'm predestined to live, then I will live despite drinking the water. Or if I'm drinking the water, I'm predestined to live. Well, we all know that if you don't drink the water, you're destined to die, right? That's, that's so God's working through those decisions. If we drink the water, God will use it for life. So someone has said, well, you know what? Stop asking silly questions, just drink the water. There's a point of this where we come to trying to figure out how does God's sovereignty, his plan work, and yet at the same time as we read in Scripture, there is a free will that man has given, and man is responsible for their disobedience to God. And that's pretty clear throughout scriptures. And so you have these two things at tension. God's sovereignty at work that he knows all things and is drawing people to himself. And yet he has gifted to mankind the ability to choose. And so we try to create systems to, to reconcile these two things that seem fairly irreconcilable. And they fail us. They fail us. Mainly because we're limited by the confines of time and our brain. But I'm pretty content to say that God is big enough where he has created a system where he works knowing all the future decisions and all the possible worlds and he has created the possible world whereby his will will be done and people who he has chosen will come to himself but it will be done through their free will you think well that's how do you reconcile it I don't because I think that question is above my pay grade I can't. I just trust. It's amazing uh, what we do with 
uh, GPS, right? Our phones. Do you hear some people have died because they followed their GPS? Ended up somewhere out west, running out of gas, not having anything around, and they died because they followed their GPS. But if I told you that we're going to go on a trip and I just gave you the address, 95% of you are going to put the address in your phone. You're going to follow it, aren't you? And you may end up in a region of Raleigh that you've never been in before. And you're just going to say, well, I'm just going to stick with what's brought me here. Because your map is long gone out of your glove compartment. You can't find out where it is, where a map is. And so you're totally dependent on that GPS, right? Even though there's this warning. Listen, I'm going to say to you is that if we are going to do that with a phone, because we believe that somehow it's hooked up to some satellite system that is overseeing everything, and we don't really understand how that works. We don't know the technology. We just say, okay, it says turn right here in 500 feet. I'm turning right in 500 feet. I mean, we may not really know how far 500 feet is. But we'll guess, right? But we will we'll take it without question. If we are going to do that, then why do we struggle with this idea that God, who has created us, knows the past, present, and future, and in His, in his sight, everything is as one. There's not this time thing that we're stuck in. He's outside of the sphere of time, and He's all-wise. He loves us. He provided for us. How is it we struggle so much this concept. God says, this is my way. Receive it. Well, it's probably something to do with our sin nature, don't you think? But nonetheless, when we're in a land that's strange to us, when we're in a land that is hostile to us, when we're dealing with friends and family members and we want them to know Jesus Christ, but it seems like they're stuck in the world system with the values of, of what they ought to love and they are conforming to all the world around them and yet they're trying to be nonconformists in it. And we see the system that they're in, we think, God, I love them. Will you draw them to know that God can work in their life in an overcoming grace type of way in their life to draw them to himself, that there is great comfort in God's power of prayer at that time. God's working in their life. In fact, many of you wouldn't pray if you didn't think that God could work in through the decisions of people and that his will can prevail upon them. That is part of the, the tenet of our prayer. Should we read this? He says, you're an apostle of Jesus. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ and, and you are elect exile. And you are elect exile according to God's plan. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Romans chapter 8, you know that verse, verse 28, that's often quoted at hospital bedsides or at your phone when things are going terrible. All things work together for good to those who love God and called according to his purpose. It's on your coffee mug somewhere, or a t-shirt on the wall. It's one we love and cherish. As you read that, Keep on reading. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Wow, there, there it is right there. 
Predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of His Son. This is the role of the Holy Spirit, working sanctification for the obedience of the commands of Jesus. As we do so, we'll be conformed to His image. In order that He might be firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. To say that this is all a work of God. The comfort in that is that when I see my own wayward self, when I see that I am as the dog being swept by the water to say, God, I need something stronger than the rivers of my life. I need stronger than the sins of my own heart. God, where is my hope? My hope is not in my abilities and my work. It's always in God's plan, His sovereignty, His work to be able to use these things to Conform me to good. What is good? To be conformed to his image. When things are at the hardest and the suffering going on, to understand that this also is part of God's plan. I've not stepped off the wayside somewhere, but God has foreknowledge of the fact that Peter would be executed by Nero. God had foreknowledge of Christians being used as lampposts in the stadiums of Rome. He knew about this, but he was going to work in this. And it wasn't just despite of evil decisions, but through the evil decisions, God's glory would be done. And that includes my own bad decisions. God's glory can be wrought. So when we look at this, he says a lot in two verses. There's a lot to get your mind around. But it also forms kind of the nutshell of what he's going to talk about in the entirety of the book. He says, God's got a great bag for you in this strange land. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father knows you, loves you. You know all the sappy songs, the love songs that we try to sing to one another but no one really knows is true? You know, I love you more than the oceans. I love you as great more than the stars of the earth. I've loved you since before time, and I will always love you. Oh, I, mean, I mean, I just summarized like 80% of our songs. But we can't do those, can we? Those are the love of God the Father for us, who's loved us, knowing us, and will love us to the end of time. So that's in your bag for you. I've got God the Spirit, and He's going to work in you to be Christ-like. And he's going to work in you. The obedience of Jesus Christ. And he's going to work and apply to you the blood of Jesus being sprinkled on your behalf. We have a new covenant. Just don't get so caught up in whether this world likes you or not. Because God loves you. And he always has. And by his spirit, he will make you lovely beautiful through it all that's our hope that's the plan and so our response to that is maybe to sing like what one has written god would you be my vision be my best hope my best thought by night or by day lord i want you to be my vision Throughout all that we go through, teach me what it is to make you my hope. 
because this land and the people are growing increasingly strange. And I need you. Let's pray.